Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you are to us. Thank you for your holy word. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for your blessings in our lives, your blessings that you bestowed upon us even this day, Father. So I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be stirred, our hearts will be open to receive your word, and also, Lord, to be open to uh, the work of your Holy Spirit. Whatever you desire to do in us and through us, may you prepare us, Lord, for your good work. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so we are in the book of Genesis. So this is our our new study. So we're starting afresh. So we'll be looking at the book of Genesis and we're going to focus on chapter one, verses one through twenty five. There is a title, of course, um, to the message, uh, a point of emphasis that the Lord placed upon my heart in looking at these first uh, few verses. And the title is God spoke. God spoke. Now, since we are starting a new book of the Bible, um, it's appropriate to have an introduction about this book before we get into the actual uh, meat of the study. And so the first thing I want to share with you is the title Genesis. So Genesis um, is a Greek word. It means beginning. And it was applied to this book in the Septuagint. And the Septuagint, by the way, is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so Genesis means beginning. But the Hebrew title is Bereshit. It's come from the first word of the book in Hebrew, in the beginning. So that's what it means in English, in the beginning. Bereshit, Hebrew. And so the human writer of Genesis um, is Moses. That's what we believe. And the New Testament actually confirms that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. In fact, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, not just him by himself, but uh, as inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gave the breathe out inspired word. Moses wrote it down. We call the first five books the Pentateuch and, and, and Genesis is the first of those first five books. Now, we don't know, of course, exactly the date of Genesis, but what we do know is that Moses' life lasted for 120 years. And during the last 40 years of his life, which was uh, probably between 1445 and uh, 1405 or 1406 B.C., um, he wandered in the Sinai wilderness with the children of Israel. And so it's likely that during those, uh, that those last 40 years of his life in the wilderness, that's, that's when God used him to write down the first five books of the Bible. And so most conservative scholars, they generally date the book um, of Genesis from about, I don't know, somewhere after the Exodus, which would be 1445 B.C. and before, of course, Moses died. And so somewhere in between there. Now, since these events that we're going to look at happened before Moses's life, uh, there's many people who question how he got his information. So in other words, what is the method that God used 
for Moses to write down this information that includes events that happened before he even lived. How did that happen? And so it's possible that he received all of this by direct revelation from God, maybe through audible words from God, or maybe God gave him visions. That's one way. Or maybe he received it all through oral tradition. So, uh, you know, his ancestors passed down what happened. So maybe he collected it and wrote it down as the Holy Spirit guided him. So that, that's another possibility. Or he took actual written records of the past. Maybe some of them were written on stones, for example. And maybe he just collected them and brought them together into a final form. Again, guided by the Holy Spirit, not on his own accord. Or it could be a combination of two of those methods or all three of those methods. Either way, this is the word of God. And and we believe that Moses is the human writer that God set aside and used to write down these words we are looking at in the book of Genesis. And so what I want to do is give a quick outline of this book. And and it's fairly simple when you think about it this way. If you think about four and four. And so that's how Genesis is divided, four and four. And so uh, the first chapters, few chapters, chapters one through 11, you have four major events. Well, once again, you have four major events in chapters one through 11. And then in chapters 12 through 50, again, the number four comes up because it focuses on four major people. And so starting with the four major events in chapters one through 11 of Genesis, you have number one, the creation Number two, the fall, that is the fall of of man, of Adam and Eve. Then you have number three, the flood. And then you have the dispersion. So the dispersion of the people at the Tower of Babel. So four main events in chapters 1 through 11. And then the four major people in chapters 12 through 50 are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and it ends on Joseph. And so you could think of Genesis And those terms, if you want a quick outline, four and four. And so something interesting about Genesis can be obviously found in its title. And that's because Genesis is the the book of beginnings. It records the beginning of the universe. It records the beginning of time. It records the beginning of life, the beginning of the human race, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of sin, the beginning of salvation, the beginning of languages, of religion, the beginning of nations, and the beginning of this chosen people, this Hebrew nation. We call them Israel. And another interesting thing about Genesis, not only is it the beginning of a bunch of things, some of them I've named, but but something interesting about Genesis is that it, it would be, the Bible would be incomplete. And the Bible would be hard to understand if we did not have this book of beginnings, if we did not have the book of Genesis. And what you see in Genesis is that almost all of the important doctrines or teachings uh, of the Bible, they have their foundation in Genesis. And so the doctrine of sin, for example, the doctrine of the fall, of redemption, of justification, 
right? Because Abraham was justified by faith, right? The promise of the Messiah, even as early as Genesis 3.15, you, you have a lot of these foundations of these important doctrines in this book. And so that's a third important fact I wanted to share with you about this first book of the Bible. Then another interesting fact about Genesis is that it covers more time than any other book in the scriptures. More time than any other book in the Bible. And as we look at the book of Genesis, we're going to see this theme. We're going to see, actually, even throughout the Old Testament, we're going to see that through God's interactions with the people he created, we're going to see his plan of salvation or redemption unfold. As we move through Genesis, as we go through the Old Testament, or as you read through the Old Testament, you see God's plan to redeem mankind unfold. And we're going to see that as he works through each of these generations of the nation of Israel. Because he's going to fulfill that promise that he made to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 about her seed coming, with the capital S, her seed coming, the seed of a woman coming. So what we see in Genesis is it's not a myth, but it's real history. It's real history. And the New Testament writers, even Jesus, and we've shown in previous lessons that Jesus is God. We did a whole series on that, on Christology, the study of uh, who Jesus is, of his person and his works. We, We see that he's God. So New Testament writers and Jesus himself, God in the flesh himself, attest to the fact that Genesis contains real history. For example, there are over 100 quotations or direct references or allusions to Genesis, just chapters 1 through 11 in the New Testament. So just in the first, those first few chapters, chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis, as we look in the New Testament, there are at least, or over, I should say, a hundred quotations. And then overall in the book of Genesis, as we think about the whole book of Genesis being quoted in the New Testament, there are over 200 or at least 200 um, allusions or quotations. And many of this is quoted by Jesus himself or alluded to by Jesus himself. And so he accepted the Genesis record as literal history, and he would know because he is God. Unfortunately, some people think that it's myth, that it should be thrown out, that it should not be adhered to, or people shouldn't even spend time reading it or studying it. But, but there is an importance that is placed on receiving what was written down by Moses, those first four, five books, the Pentateuch. And in particular, Genesis. For example, in in John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47, this is what Jesus said. He says, if you believe Moses, and Moses wrote Genesis, right? If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe in his writings, 
how will you believe my words? So in other words, if a person has a hard time receiving Genesis or the rest of the Pentateuch as true, then they're going to have a hard time believing Jesus. They're going to have a hard time receiving his words. This is from Jesus's mouth. So as we bring that introduction to a conclusion and just meditate upon that, let's look at verse one in Genesis chapter one. It says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so this opening verse here in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see a topic sentence that summarizes the entire chapter. It summarizes chapter one that God created the universe, that God created the earth. And in regard to time, you see that it doesn't have a particular date on here. All we know is that it happened in the beginning. When was the beginning? We don't know. All we know is that in the beginning, God created the universe. God created the earth. But we also see, speaking of beginnings and first times in the book of Genesis, we see the first occurrence of God in the Hebrew name Elohim. And so this name of God, Elohim, is, is stresses the, his majesty and is stresses the fact that he is a powerful God. That's what it stresses. And so what you have in that name Elohim, you have a plural ending. The im at the end in Hebrew is plural. It doesn't mean that it's more than one God. But, but, but what you have here is a hint of the Trinity, three in one. So it's a plural name, but it has a singular meaning. Three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. And so we believe in the triunity of God and that all three persons in the Godhead always existed. God is eternal. He existed, by the way, before the beginning, which means he existed even before time. And God, by the way, not only created time, he created space. He also created matter, as we'll see in this chapter. And it's interesting when we look at the word created in verse one, it's bara. And it's always used of the work of God. In other words, only God can do this. Only God can create out of nothing. When we when man makes things, when we put something together, when we cook food, we 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 take things that already existed and and we just form something, shape something out of it may make a new recipe or whatever the case may be. I've even made some crazy recipes and it turned out kind of good. Some of it just turned out downright nasty. But, but I'd use material that existed, God created out of nothing. Bara. But that's the power of God. He created the heavens. He created the universe. And and this heavens here, it it corresponds with what we will call space. He he created that. He created this planet that we live on. At the time of 
creation, there were no other planet stars. There were other, no other material bodies in the universe. They, they came into being on the fourth day, as we'll see. And what's interesting about God in creating the earth is that when he created the earth, he hung it upon nothing. Job 26 verse 7 says he stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. And it's not falling. But that's the power of God. And so, yes, God created out of nothing. But but how did he create everything? The scriptures tell us that he spoke the word. He, he spoke it into existence. Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. He created ex nihilo or next ex nihilo, which is Latin, bara, Hebrew, nothing created out of nothing. By faith, we receive this. That, that he created everything by his powerful word. The scriptures also tell us in the New Testament that, that all things were made through Jesus. Jesus, of course, is the living word of God. And so Jesus is the agent that God used to create everything. And that's in the Bible. That is scriptural. So God spoke the word. Jesus is the agent God used to create the heavens, the universe and the earth. And we find proof in John chapter one, verses one through three. Many of you can quote this verbatim without even opening your Bibles, but I'm going to read it. It says in the beginning was the word. It sounds just like Genesis in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's eternal. God is eternal. All things were made through him. Speaking of Jesus and without Jesus, without him, nothing was made that was made. God spoke the word and the living word. Jesus Christ was involved. He was the agent God used to create the universe, to create the earth, this planet that we live on. In verse 2 of Genesis 1, it says that the earth was without form and it was void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering. He was brooding over the face of the waters. And so in verse 2, we see the state of the earth before God organized the creation. And so we, we see it. You can look at it as a ball of putty. It's not quite shaped, but it's, it's there. Now we can kind of mold it. We can do fancy things with that putty or, or, or the Play-Doh, whatever you want to call it. And so we see that when the earth was created, this, this mass was without form. It was void. In other words, it was unformed. It was without any life. When it was first spoken into existence, it was full of water. And, and the scripture says that darkness was on the face of the water. And darkness here doesn't necessarily mean evil was involved or implied it just shows that it was incomplete and there was a lack of light at this point and so the rest of the chapter will go on to explain the stages of creation in detail and we're going to see that as it follows but first in verse one it started with the summary that in the beginning God created 
the heavens and the earth. And so there are many, though, who hold to the view that the earth became, that it became without form and void. As we're looking at the scriptures here, where it says the earth was without form and void in verse 2, as we read it, but some believe that it became without form and void. And many of these people hold on to what's called the gap theory. And so the gap theory that some people hold to, they, they, they believe that between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2, that between there, that there was this large gap of time. They believe that during that gap of time, something uh, destructive, something cataclysmic happened. And many of those who hold to that view, they, they believe that that cataclysmic e- event was the fall of Lucifer, who, of course, became Satan and that the, the earth was destroyed. And that's how it became uh, without form and void. And so that's the view that some people have with this gap theory. They believe it happened between verses one and two. And most people who believe in that gap theory, they use it to explain the fossil record. Assigning old and extinct fossils to this gap of time. So some people use this theory to kind of reconcile the billions of years that some folks hold to. So they try to use it or kind of fit that into this theory. At least some of them do who hold this theory. And so to them, to those who hold on to the gap theory, if that's their view of what's going on here in verse two or what happened between verses one and two to them, the remaining verses described the six days of creation and reconstruction, which prepared the earth for human habitation. So they see it as a reconstruction. And so I have to tell you, I don't hold that view. I don't hold to the view of the gap theory. I don't think it's necessary to hold on to that view. I I believe that if God wanted that information to be there, he would have put it there. But, But there are some problems with this gap theory. And one problem with this theory is that, first of all, we don't know exactly when angels were created. And Satan, by the way, is a fallen angel. So first of all, we don't know that angels, by the way, could have been made sometime before the third day of creation because it says they were uh, with God before the foundations or when the foundations of the earth were laid and they shouted with joy. It tells us that in Job uh, chapter 38, but we don't know exactly when. So that's a problem with this theory. But another problem found with this gap theory is found in Ezekiel chapter 28, because in Ezekiel chapter 28, it it tells us that Lucifer, who's called the anointed cherub of God, was in the Garden of Eden. And he was perfect during that time. In the Garden of Eden. So that means his fall must have come after the Garden of Eden was created. And so that will kind of throw the timing off with this gap theory, because with this gap theory, the Garden of Eden hadn't been created yet. And so Ezekiel chapter 28 throws it off. And so 
the third problem we see with this gap theory is that if the world existed prior to this cataclysm that happened before Adam came into the world, then that means that suffering and death existed for a billion or however many years before the sin of Adam. Adam wasn't even created yet here. And the scriptures are clear that death came into the world because of the sin of Adam. So if Adam wasn't created, which means he didn't have the opportunity to sin, which means that death wasn't a consequence yet, then how can there be fossils in the fossil record? Because if there's fossils, that means death and suffering was present. And so those are three problems with that theory. But as we look at verse two, one thing we also see is that uh, the spirit of God, along with God, the father, along with God, the son, Jesus, we see that the Holy Spirit was also involved in creation because it tells us that he hovered over the waters. He brooded over the waters. And so we have the the Trinity involved in creation, involved in the creation of the universe, involved in the creation of earth. And as I look at this world here, as it once existed without form and void and dark and just water just everywhere, just formless and empty, I, I can't help but think about our lives without Jesus. Because without Jesus, that's how we are as humans. In our fallen state, we are formless. We are empty. We are empty of God. We are empty of that true life that only comes through God. We're walking through life aimless. We are in darkness. So our lives were once this way, like this earth that God is about to give some form to add some details to, but praise God for those of us who have Jesus in our lives as our personal savior and Lord, thank God that we have eternal life at this point. And thank God that just as the Holy spirit brooded or hovered on over the waters and was involved in that creation process in that same way, the Holy spirit in the lives of believers, he's molding us and he's shaping us. And that darkness has been dispelled from our hearts and he's helping us to be more like Jesus. And in fact, Romans chapter eight tells us, that it is in God's plan from eternity. We are predestined in, in, to be conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. So if you ever know what God's plan for you is as a believer, read Romans chapter 8 in its entirety. Because we are predestined to be conforming to the image of Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit who hovered over this formless and this dark earth that was empty of life. That same Holy Spirit gives us life and he shapes us, helps us to be more like Jesus. But the scriptures also tell us that wisdom was also there in creation. And so if you are a reader of the Proverbs in chapter eight of Proverbs, you'll notice that wisdom is personified, but it's personified as a woman. And so, in other words, uh, wisdom was there with God, which isn't surprising because God is wise. And if God always has 
had wisdom, that means that wisdom is eternal and that, yes, he used wisdom as he created everything, the universe, the earth, and everything in it. And so that's Proverbs 8, verses 22 through 30. Wisdom was also there. In verses 3 through 5, we're going to see day one, what was created. It says, then God says, so now you get into the specifics of creation. It says, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness or he distinguished it, separated it from darkness. And he called the light day and the darkness he called night. And so the evening, which would indicate uh, like sunset or twilight and the morning or dawn, that was the first day. The New Living Translation reads this way as we look at verse 5 towards the end. New Living Translation said, And the evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. So nothing new, in other words, took place between the evening and the morning of not only this day, but each day that ends with that saying. And the morning and the, and the, and the evening and the morning were the whatever day, blank day, second day, third day, fourth day, so forth. It just means that nothing took place between evening and morning of each day. So that evening passed, that morning came. First day, light was there. Let there be light. And there it was. You see, this light is different from the light from the sun and the moon, which won't be created until day four. This light could be a supernatural light. So many commentators believe that this light speaks of the glory of God through Jesus Christ. You know, since light and dark are separated, that means that at this point, the earth was now rotating on this axis so that there was a source of light on one side of the earth and darkness on the other side because it was separated. But this light, once again, could be a supernatural source. And you'll see that in the, the new heavens and new earth, there's no need of the sun. There's no need of the moon because it says that God provides the light. He's the light. And so that would tie into this. So it probably speaks of the glory of God through Jesus. And there's somebody maybe in this building, maybe online, maybe who'll be listening later. But maybe some of you are in darkness and Oh, only Jesus, who is the light, can give you that light of life. That, that is only in him. That light of life is only in the light. It comes from the light, Jesus Christ. So, so if that's you, that light is available. You don't have to walk aimlessly through life. You don't have to be separated from God, whether in this life or in eternity. Because if you die in a spiritually dead state without the life of God, without eternal life, if you die in that state without Jesus, then that separation is eternal. We're talking about an eternal God who has been offended by our sin. And God can never look approvingly upon sin. He cannot dwell in the presence of sin. And God cannot change. 
and he's eternal. So that means because he can't change and because he's eternal, that, that means that as long as somebody has that sin upon them and they die in that state without receiving the forgiveness that's in Christ, that means that that, that sin eternally has to be separated from him in a place called hell. God gives people what they want. Not that he wants people to go to hell, but that's what people choose to do by saying no to Jesus, the light. And, and speaking of this day, by the way, because some people have wondered or are probably wondering and wondering, okay, how is this day a thousand years and all this? So the scripture says that one day is with the Lord, that's a thousand years, a thousand years with a day. Don't take the scriptures out of context. That particular scripture is just talking about that God sees time differently. Because some of us grow impatient with God, but that scripture is just letting us know that, hey, calm down. God doesn't see time the way you see it. That's all that's telling us. That, that's, that's not telling us to define these days as a thousand years. Keep the scriptures in context. In fact, the, the word day, the Hebrew word behind our English day here is yom. It speaks of a 24-hour period. And it's defined as evening and morning in Genesis 1. The word day, the Hebrew yom, always means a 24-hour solar day when it is joined by some type of numerical adjective like one or two. So you have like, you know, first day. So because they have that numerical adjective first, that means the day, the word day that follows is talking about a 24-hour period. That is the context. Literal six days of creation is what's being spoken of here. 24-hour days. But get this. If each day in the creation account was really 1,000 years or longer to some people, we would run into a problem. You know why? Because Adam was 930 years when he died. <laughs> that, so that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. Not only that, but the Jews' observance of the Sabbath day would not make sense. So is he telling them to work for 6,000 years and rest for that 7,000 year or that, you know, it, it's, no, they it's the literal 24-hour period, six days, and then they were to rest that literal 24-hour period, seven day. That's, that's how they took it. Not only that, but why, does, why is it impossible or crazy for us to believe that God can do this? Think about this. When you look in the book of Revelation, how long does it take for him to create the new heavens and new earth? Then take that long. We're talking about God. The almighty God, there's nothing impossible for him. We're told more than once in the scriptures. In verses six through eight, day two, it says in verse six, then God says, let there be a firmament. Let there be, in other words, this expanse or this visible arch or dome, this canopy in the midst of the waters. And the purpose of it, it tells us in verse six, it's going to divide the waters from the waters. So it's going to divide the waters from this expanse, the waters below the expanse from the waters on top of the expanse. And so this firmament we call sky. 
And so God made the firmament, verse 7. And he divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above it, and it was so. And so you have the waters beneath in our seas and oceans. You have sky or this expanse, and then you have the waters above it. So they believe that there was this vapor canopy around the earth at one point. But when the flood came, that thing was let go. And that's why it was one of the reasons it was so much water during the flood. And so this expanse, this, this sky, this air, whatever you want to call it, divided the waters. And God called the firmament in verse 8, heaven or sky. And so the evening and the morning were the second day. And, and so we see that this is not talking about, um, you know, the heaven speaking of the universe. And this is not speaking of the dwelling place of God because the scriptures tell us there are three heavens. We have our atmosphere, our, our sky, then we have outer space, then we have the dwelling place of God. And so it's talking about the first heaven, this, this atmosphere, this earth atmosphere. And, it, and its purpose is to divide the waters in the heaven from the waters on the earth. And so this initial vapor can, canopy that was in existence It could serve, as many have pointed out, as a global greenhouse. And so the entire earth um, could have had this nice tropical weather, look green and lush all over because of this um, water canopy surrounding the earth. And then it would also be effective, this water canopy, this, this vapor canopy, it would be effective in filtering out of these ultraviolet rays and, you know, people getting skin cancer and things like that. And so it would protect cells from being destroyed. And so people were able to live longer. And you can see that in the scriptures, people were living these, these long lives, you know, 600, 700, 800 years, 900 years, Adam, 930 years. So you see that they were protected from these radiations, these cosmic rays, so to speak. And so animals and humans were able to live longer because their cells weren't being damaged because of this, this canopy. Because you had this expanse separated the waters above from the waters beneath. In verse 9, it says, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens, let the waters, in other words, under the sky, be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth or land and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind or species, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth Grass or vegetation and the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. So once again, God said and it happened. He spoke and it happened. And so in this third day, we see the land, uh, the plants and trees. We, we see that the waters were gathered into one place and dry land appears. So day three, you see the dry land and you see this vegetation. 
And so, so far, the first three days, we, we see that God created three spaces. He created the land, the seas, and he created the expanse of the sky. And during the next three days of creation, he's going to fill in those spaces. And in verses 14 through 19, you're going to see day four. Once again, it says, then God said, let there be lights or these light bearers in the firmament or the expanse of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights or light bearers in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Verse 16, then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. So we know those as the sun and the moon. He made the stars also. So the stars were made on the fourth day. God set them in the firmament of the heavens or sky to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. In other words, evening passed, morning came, marking the fourth day. And so you see these lights were set in the firmament of heaven. But this is not the same firmament that was formed on the second day. This is talking about in the universe. And so these stars will be for signs. And it could, it could refer to the fact that man will use God's provision of the sun, moon, and stars to, to mark out and measure time and to use it for direction, for navigation. And, and as we look at where you write down maybe Psalm 147 verse 4 in Isaiah 40:26 it tells us how amazing God is because God has numbered all the stars and he has a name for each and every star and because that is true we know that's true I don't have to say I'm not going to say if because we know that's true because the scriptures tell us we don't have to be concerned about whether or not God knows what we're going through. If he's able to number the stars, call them by name. He knows exactly what you are going through. He knows who you are. He can count the the strands of hair that's on our heads. Oh, God takes interest in us. In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, it even tells us that the heavens, they, they have a message from God. They declare the glory of God. So people can look at the sky. They can look at the stars. They can look at the moon. They can look at the sun. And they can see that there is a God because they speak a message about God. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So in other words, God through creation has given to man, has given to mankind what we would call general revelation. So everybody has this general revelation, this evidence that there is a God. But there's some people who refuse to believe there is a there is God. 
Therefore, they are deserving of the wrath of God, as we've seen in, in Romans 1, verses 18 through 20, because what they, what they can see based on creation, they, they don't say, oh, there must have been a creator. No, they say there's no God. And they begin to worship other things, the things that are made. They reject God. They suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. So they're deserving of the wrath of God. But they don't have any excuse. Why? Because their general revelation, if they will respond to the general revelation of creation. Okay, there's creation. There's a sun. There's a moon. There, there's people. There's, there's animals. There must be an intelligent designer. God, who are you? I want to know who you are. And if they would seek him with sincere hearts, I believe God will give them even more revelation of who he is. And we even see that with Cornelius in the New Testament in the book of Acts, him responding to the revelation he had, God gave him even more light and he sent him Peter to share the gospel with him to receive the Messiah. Verses 20 through 23, back in Genesis 1, it says, then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament or the sky and so god created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind according to their species and every winged bird according to its kind and god saw that it was good and god blessed them the first time we see that god blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth and so the evening and the morning were the fifth day And so here we see that God produced a functioning and mature creation. So this answers the riddle. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken came first because he created everything. He created these animals as mature. And we'll see. We're not going to see it tonight. But he also created um, Adam as a fully grown man, not as a baby. And so it's no surprise that the earth would appear to have age as a mature earth. Verses 24 through 25, Genesis 1. It says, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind or species. Cattle, speaking of livestock and creeping thing. These are creatures that crawl and the beasts. So these are the non-domesticated animals, the wildlife of the earth each according to his species or kind, and it was so. In verse 25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to his kind, cattle according to his kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to his kind, and God saw that it was good. So again, all animal life is created according to its kind, according to its species. So you're not going to see a dog over a span of time become a lizard or vice versa. You may see variations of dogs, but those variations are built into the DNA. It's still a dog. And, and the same thing with plants and trees or so forth and, and, and birds after their own kind. And so you see what you know, people call as micro evolution. So they're not becoming different species or uh, different type of animals or everything, but they're just adaptations within the species so you see some spots on some cows and some that don't have any spots variations within the species you see that but not them becoming a whole new animal or creature 
So you see these creeping things as well, these insects, these smaller reptiles, probably most amphibians and many small mammals. Uh, One thing I I just want to figure out, what's the purpose? I still don't know the purpose of a gnat. (laughs) God, you create, I know you created that gnat, Lord. I, I don't know. What's going on with that or a fruit fly? I mean, we'll find out one day, right, in eternity. But praise God. We know that he made him for a reason. But, but, but all of these land animals, I want to point this out. The land animals and the birds, they were said to have been brought forth from the earth or from the ground. And we're going to see that in Genesis chapter 2. And I don't want to get too much ahead, but I want to point that out. But, but as we get down to the final part of the study, I... Just want to point something out, and it's in the title, God Spoke. And this really stood out as I was praying about how to break up this study, how to present it to the hearers. The fact that God spoke. See, God spoke everything into existence, which means he he literally commanded. See, when he commanded, that means he was verbally expressing his will. And so he willed, he spoke the world into existence. And by faith, we believe this. And so this is the second time we're going to see this. Once again, Hebrews 11.3. You see, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by by the word of God. We receive that by faith that God spoke. He spoke everything into existence. He willed it, commanded it into existence. And so that means that when God spoke, power went out. Power went out when God spoke. Because when he spoke, things began to happen. And no wonder, because Hebrews 4.12 tells us, and this is the New Living Translation, it says, for the word of God is alive and it's powerful. So it's no wonder that things happen in Genesis 1 when God spoke. There's no wonder there's this creative power in the word of God because it's alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword and it cuts between the soul and the spirit. In other words, it could tell what is soulish, what is of our emotions. And then it also tell what is of the spirit, of spiritual things. It can divide between joint and marrow. It can get to the deepest things in our lives. That's when, when you read the word of God, when you hear somebody teaching or preaching the word of God, and you begin to think, why, why did somebody tell them what's going on in my life? That preacher has no business telling my business, but that's not the case. That is the word of God speaking into your life, and the word of God is alive and it's powerful, it's sharp, and it exposes, it says, our innermost thoughts and desires. But the scriptures tell us that in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. It tells us that in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. You see, when Jesus was on earth in the first coming in that human body, when he spoke, you you saw that he spoke truth, things that people misunderstood, things that people took out of context. Jesus gave the correct meaning of it. He, He spoke the truth. 
When Jesus spoke, you saw that demons obeyed. When he told a demon to be quiet, that demon had to be quiet. When he told that demon to be cast out, to come out of a person, that demon had to leave that person. When Jesus spoke to the storm and told it to stop, it it had to listen because God was speaking and there's power in the word of God and Jesus is God. When Jesus spoke, people were healed. Jesus didn't have to go to the person's house. All he had to do was speak a word and that person that, that, that they were praying about, that they was hoping will be healed, was healed because the son of God, God spoke. And once again, there is power in the word of God. Even when Jesus told somebody to raise, be raised from the dead, they had to rise from the grave. When he told Lazarus to come out of the tomb, Lazarus had to obey. Why? Because God spoke. There is power in the word of God. And maybe tonight you need a word of God. And I'm talking about a timely word of God. You need a word that speaks directly to your situation. And maybe you had that this morning as you spent time with the Lord in the scriptures during your devotional time. Maybe you had that timely word that speaks directly to you. And you're telling God, God, that is exactly what I needed to hear tonight. So maybe you are in need of a timely word. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. And you need a word from God. That's going to give you some direction. Maybe you need a word of God that's going to do something in your life, just like it did in chapter one when things were created, when God spoke. Maybe you need a word of God to be spoken that's going to change some circumstance in your life or maybe even change you. Maybe you need a word from God that's going to heal you or maybe you need some comfort and you need God to speak through his word, through his written word or or maybe through this teaching from me or anybody else, any other believer in your life to just share a timely word with you. So I wonder tonight, is anybody in need of a timely word and and you just praying, God, speak to me. I, I need to hear something from you. I'm going through this situation. I need some healing. My finances are not coming together. My children are not behaving. My marriage is in shambles. And God, I need you to speak. I need that creative power we see in Genesis 1 to be spoken into my life. Maybe you are there tonight. And I wonder if that's you. I'm going to tell you that God does have a word for you. And I'm going to tell you and encourage you to start with the written word, the the Bible, which we are so blessed to have as the worship team comes to the stage. I also want to share with you that today, yes, we have the powerful gospel Oh, it's included in the written word of God. We have the powerful gospel, the word of God. God spoke. He spoke this gospel and it is written. And as the scripture tells us in Romans 1:16, of this spoken gospel, of this spoken word. And I hope all of us would join the apostle Paul when he says this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of this word. Why? Because it is the power of God. There you have it again. God spoke. When he speaks, there's power. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also for the Greek. So not only we as believers have been given life through this powerful gospel, this powerful word of God, but get this, we can also Take up what God shared 
from the written word and we can share this powerful word with someone else who needs life because it is the power of God to salvation. Only God can give life. Only life could give life. God, the originator of life, right? He has life in himself. God could give that to you. So share that powerful message of the gospel. Share God's word with somebody and watch God go to work. That's what's going to happen when his word is shared because it is powerful. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for not just the timely word. Hopefully there was a timely word that has gone forth, but your word as a whole. Thank you. And I pray your blessing upon your people tonight, wherever they are in their situations. Meet them where they are, Father. We trust you to do that because you love your people. And once again, I pray for those who have strayed. I pray for those who don't have a personal relationship with you, that you would draw them to Jesus. And I pray that you'll equip us this week and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.